Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is 8.08 in the Twin Cities, 51 degrees, as May Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. And great to have one of my favorite guests, uh, Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me tonight. All right. Obviously, a very, very difficult day. Uh, just a, a horrific tragedy uh, and, and a horrific event in Pittsburgh as 11 people who were worshiping at a synagogue uh, in Pittsburgh were, were gunned down by a, a man shouting anti-Jewish slogans. Uh, six other people were injured, including four police officers who heroically rushed towards the gunfire in, in an attempt to try and help these people who were trapped uh, with the gunmen in the synagogue. Uh, the president um, making some comments almost immediately saying, had there been somebody with a gun inside the synagogue, in other words, an armed gunman, uh, or an armed guard, uh, that could have prevented this tragedy. Um, the president obviously also making an appeal for unity, but it's also been a pretty tough week with all of these 13 mail bombings, mail bombs that were sent uh, to packages to prominent critics of the president, including the former presidents of the United States, uh, Barack Obama and President Bill Clinton and, of course, uh, Secretary Clinton. Um, it's an awful lot. Uh, it's an awful lot. Uh, where does this, with only nine days until the election, your thoughts about w- what impact this is going to have? Well, let's sort of step back a little bit. First off, you know, as we said off the air, this is about the ugliest week that I can think of in American politics, maybe since 9-11. You know, it's, it's pretty awful at this point. But some people who have come to hear me talk in, in some of the presentations I've given over the last few years Oftentimes, I give a talk about political polarization, and I start off by saying that when people claim this is the most polarized we've ever been, I I sort of preface by saying, well, you know, A, there was the Civil War, which was worse, but then I say, within my lifetime, the early 1960s was pretty bad when we um, assassinated a president, his brother, and a civil rights leader, and we were torn apart by the Vietnam War. And I try to say that to point out that we're not as bad as that, but after this week, we're looking as bad as we were back in the early 1960s. You know, when we're looking at um, pipe bombs being sent um, to apparently the opposition, you know, um, we're looking at um, anger turning into hate in terms of what it does in terms of our political system. It has all that feel for those people who remember it of like 1968 and earlier. And one has to think in the same way that all that hate, all that anger had a tremendous impact upon the presidential race in 1968. I can't help but think that with, what, seven to, what, what, ten days to go in the election, the events of the last few days are going to have some impact, probably dramatic, in terms of how people think and how people vote. And, and exactly what it's going to be, I'm not sure, but you have to think it's going to be a big impact. Um, you know, Going break, talking about this uh, event today, um, one of the um, 
bits of evidence is emerging, and obviously this is all very fresh and very raw, is that the uh, gunman did have a semi-automatic weapon, which is sort of the standard in these mass shootings. Uh, in the aftermath of the shooting at Parkland, Florida, you saw really a, a mobilization of, of groups. It, they had happened here in Minnesota, across the country, uh, moms groups saying that they were going to support candidates or only support candidates uh, that supported tougher gun control measures. Uh, we've, we've heard that before uh, and, and now it seems like it was, you know, the Parkland shooting was a long time ago, but does it break that way or is this just another horrific shooting that that, that somehow um, becomes part of, of the national dialogue and, and bloody history of, of recent years? If we were weeks away from an election, I would be pretty confident to say it becomes just sort of another footnote to history with no major impact. Um, coming closer to an election... Um, one has to wonder, how does this motivate at least two critical groups in our society? One of them, which is going to be um, people under the age of 30, especially those who are part of what's Generation Z. They're the ones who turned out for Parkland in terms of that mass demonstration, suggesting that that gun and gun violence, um, especially in schools, might be an issue that brings them to the polls this year. And does this sort of lull them out to sort of say, yes, the issue hasn't gone away. Um, second is that the issue of guns and security um, clearly, I think, among other groups, motivates um, suburban women, you know, um, um, mothers con- concerned about their children, concerned about sort of security and safety in general. And, and what suburban women do in this election, um, if they show up, um, and they will probably vote Democrat, and that's going to have a major impact on the election. So, so I think how these events have, have, you know, are coming so close to an election, you know, might be reminders, you know, to critical constituencies to show up and vote. The other thing that I wanted to sort of comment on here, when you went back earlier and talked about Trump's comments today regarding saying that had there been, what, security or somebody with a gun at the synagogue, this might not happen. One of the things that becomes, one of the things that becomes becomes really a problem is the fact that in a free society, you generally shouldn't have to expect to have guns, you know, in front of um, every building, and people shouldn't have to be armed everywhere they go to protect themselves. And those kind of statements by Donald Trump, I think, really sort of go against a lot of what we think about what our society is supposed to be about. Yes, you know, we do have a Second Amendment. Yes, we do have an individual right to bear arms. But the idea of saying that we need to have guns everywhere um, again, I'm not sure how well that's going to resonate um, in the 2018 election. Right. Uh, in terms of, of the, the, the news earlier this week um, with all those uh, package bombs uh, being delivered to either prominent Democrats or supporters of prominent Democrats, I, I believe there were 13 in all. Uh, initially, the president sort of sounded a call for unity, but you saw some pretty intense pushback from the president uh, over what he felt was unfair criticism, uh, linking his rhetoric to perhaps being somehow a motivation for these mailings. Uh, which way does that cut? Well, he's, he's trying to play it two ways here. At the same time, he wants, 
Well, first off, we see a pattern oftentimes with Trump where he initially does some conciliatory statements and then he goes back into his base mode. And I think that's where he's caught here. At one hand, he wants to, you know, you know really you know, sort of say that whether it's he believes it or his advisors are pushing him to saying that you've got to take a more conciliatory, a more statesmanlike approach to the issues versus at the same time, his, his natural instincts are to appeal to a base, of our, our, and especially getting closer to an election where we're looking at his rallies in the last few days, that he's, he, he, he's really appealing to that, those same messages about immigration, um, about, about anger and so forth, that, that got him elected the first time, except now juxtaposed next to pipe bombings and what, 13 people killed in a synagogue, um, they take on a completely different meaning, um, perhaps, than they did two years ago. Um, and I believe it was 11 that was killed in the synagogue. I, I do think I do think that um, – and I did get a note from somebody uh, um, on our assignment desk because uh, we're preparing for to do, redoing the, the politics show with myself and Pat Kessler tomorrow at 10.30 a.m. on WCCO-TV. And one of our assignment editors noted, and I didn't see the Illinois rally. The president held a rally in, in um, spoke to a group in Indiana, then held a rally in southern Illinois. But he did cite um, apparently in, in the rally in Illinois, uh, he talked about the president talked about toning down the rhetoric, and there were boos from the crowd. Mm-hmm. So um, you know it, it, that'll be interesting to see what kind of happens there. Um, Listen, we have to take a quick break um, and we'll have more with you when we come back. Uh, we're also going to be taking a, a live update at uh, 8.31 from CBS News on the latest developments in that uh, Pittsburgh shooting. So keep it here, News Radio 830 WCCO. Eight twenty-one in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz, uh, talking about the impact of of these two really unbelievable developments. That this terrible shooting in Pittsburgh today at a synagogue where eleven people were killed, six others injured, including four police officers, uh, and then also uh, these these pipe or these pipe bombs that were mailed to prominent Democrats, including former President Obama, Secretary Clinton, as well as supporters of Democrats. And we were talking in the break, just it's really unclear how this is going to fuel uh, this partisan divide just nine days before the election. You're absolutely correct, because as you were pointing out before we went to break, you know, that when the president talked today about about some kind of – you know, reconciliation or saying we need to come together, there were boos. And what we're getting now, which is just so fascinating, and I don't mean fascinating good, fascinating maybe tragic, is, is the partisan reaction we're getting to um, sort of these acts of violence this week. I mean, think back regarding those 13 pipe bombs, you know, within what, a matter of an hours of those pipe bombs 
the first round of them um, having been discovered, um, we see a conspiracy theory out there being floated that says that perhaps Democrats, Democrats were the ones who sent these out um, in terms of trying to sort of influence the election. And so we're getting you know very, very different reactions, and, and we're not getting sort of a commonality necessarily um, among large chunks of the population um, in terms of saying that these are the kind of events that need to be, um, you know, to, to be shunned or to, to be denounced. And the president himself, even though he wants to say he's not at all responsible, you know, for creating this atmosphere, it's getting kind of hard when you have to make that claim when you have a person who plants those bombs, who has a van covered with all these, you know, Trump, st- um, Trump posters and stickers and, and paraphernalia and so forth, that somewhere out there, part of what leadership is about, uh, well, we know this about leadership, is leadership sets tones, whether it's in companies, whether it's in a country, and Trump needs to be thinking about what the, the implications are of his rhetoric um, in terms of how it's fueling this partisan divide in the United States. Right. And, and you know, I mean, I think, you know, Republicans would say, well, look at Joe Biden. He talked about, you know, taking the president behind a locker and beating him up. Um, I mean, there have been comments on the other side as well, but certainly the president has the bully pulpit and, and he's the one who's holding these rallies. And this is, I mean, what he's doing, I mean, I don't recall another president doing this to this extent in terms of going out to all these campaign style rallies uh, leading up to a midterm election. Well, I agree. I think, I mean, rarely do you see a president campaigning this this hard. Um, and um, presidents do, you know, you know, do campaign, but the number of rallies he's going to, and, and especially right now, most presidents during a situation like this, you know, with, you know, things that happened in Pittsburgh, or even, let us say, the, um, the pipe bombs again earlier in the week, would have seen most presidents um, probably suspend campaigning and to say that this is not a time for partisanship um, and and take a different approach. But again, this you know Trump viewing the stakes as being absolutely enormous right now is making a calculation here, a calculation that says that that if he doesn't go out there and campaign, you know, the, you know, there's a big impact for his presidency if the Democrats take back the House of Representatives. And he's got that calculation going. He's got the calculation that when he won election the first time, he used similar rhetoric like this, and it was successful. And the partisan divide is nothing greater now than it was two years ago. So a, a lot of things are coming coming together right now in terms of influencing how Trump um, is approaching the 2018 election. And there's just no indication that I think that tomorrow or the next day or in the next seven days we're going to see a real change of tone by the president um, going into the you know into the November sixth elections. Right, and because I think he feels that that his base is clearly on his side, which clearly they are. Well, they are. There's no question about it. I mean, this is the part where I, I, one can't put all the blame on the president. You have to say that to a large extent his his base is with him. You know, that, you know, and and there is some indications. You know, at least prior to the last few days, that the support for the president of the United States has gone up, gone up a little bit. Um, he hasn't lost his base whatsoever. And again, if he were to change his rhetoric, he runs the risk of what? Runs the risk of perhaps some backlash from them. So he's caught in sort of a political dilemma, 
even if he wanted to change the tone of the rhetoric or change his strategy, I don't think his base or the, 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 po- the political stakes of 2018 are going to allow him to do that because he's always run base politics, and that's what I think he's doing right now too. Right, and, and obviously it's, it's extremely successful, it, yes. you know, and it, it's working for him. It is working for him. Um, I mean, the, the, even though I think Democrats feel pretty confident that they're going to do well in this election cycle. There's still no guarantee that they're going to get the, uh, the pickup of the House, although some models suggest they will. Um, the odds of them picking up the U.S. Senate are relatively relatively slim at this point. Uh, and I think Trump can sort of hope that if he can keep his base really excited, get him to turn out um, in numbers that were similar to what they were two years ago, um, he, he can hold... Um, the Senate, the House, and, 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 and still have a relatively strong presidency going into his next two years. Well, I, I also think that I think he views his, uh, you know, that speech he gave that, that got a lot of criticism mocking uh, Christi, Dr. Christine Blasey Ford after she mm-hmm. testified uh, against Judge Kavanaugh. He views that as the turning point yeah. uh, for that, that got Kavanaugh's uh, confirmed and also revved up that base. And so I think he, he feels that he has gotten mileage out, out of stepping on the gas in these things. So you're absolutely correct. And this is really kind of interesting, too, because was it this week, I think he said at one point that if, if the Republicans were to lose the House of Representatives, um, he's not to blame for, him, uh, blame for it because he's been campaigning for Republicans in some areas. So he's, he's so right. He's but, but, he's, but he's also said... If, if you, you, this is about me. That's right. So exactly. he said both things. He said both things, and there's no question. There's absolutely no question. I've been arguing this for a few weeks that even though the number one issue for voters is is healthcare, the number two issue is the economy. All of this is simply what it's a a, a surrogate or a pretext for what. This is an election that is all about Trump, and it's a referendum on him, and he knows it. Everybody knows that, um, and the only way I think he knows how to campaign is to go with what's been successful for him, which is what he's been doing, um, which got him elected, which got him Brett Kavanaugh, which got him a fair number of successes in the last 18 months. Right, and, months. And, 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 you know, I think, and, and I was, you know, talking with uh, our producer, Jonathan Lowe, earlier, because uh, we were talking about Christine Blasey Ford. It, it, doesn't that seem like it was a year ago? It does. I was going to say, when everybody thought that the Kavanaugh hearings were going to be the defining issue or the last defining issue before the election, that is what, barely, what, three weeks ago or two right. weeks ago, and now it's completely been eclipsed by a whole host of other things. Right, and, and I think that's something that, that that's sort of mind-boggling about it, and we still have nine days, so you wonder what else could happen. No, you're absolutely right, because with nine days to go, I think many of us are now expecting you know, a couple of other um, um, things to uh, pretty major to happen. Um, exactly what they could be, we don't know, and hope they're not going to be anywhere near as violent, or not violent at all, but... You know, but this is again going back to what I started off the show with by saying here. You know, we are so, we are probably now as divided as we were in the early 1960s. A point to where the divide, that point, almost anything can happen. Right. All right. Well, listen, uh, Professor David Schultz, we're going to continue this conversation with you uh, in our next half hour. But I do want to let you know that uh, we are preparing to take a CBS News special report on, on this tragic shooting in. Pittsburgh. Uh, earlier today, uh, a gunman shouting uh, anti-Jewish slogans 
uh, went into a synagogue in Pittsburgh and shot and killed 11 people who were there worshiping. Uh, there was apparently a baby naming ser- service underway, a bris, and 11 people are dead, six injured. Uh, among those injured, four police officers uh, who rushed to the scene to try and contain the gunman and, and try and get the people out who were trapped inside with him. It's a tragic, tragic story, one that uh, obviously the entire nation is watching. So again now, uh, in just seconds here, we're going to go to CBS News on the latest in Pittsburgh. It's 8.36 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock along with Professor David Schultz on this very, very sad day as we continue to follow the developments uh, in that mass shooting in Pittsburgh that has left 11 dead, uh, six wounded, including those four police officers. Uh, Professor David Schultz, uh, you and I were talking in one of the breaks, um, and you have some thoughts about some of these ads that you've been seeing. Yeah, one of the ones I've seen recently ad, you know, airing is the Republicans are doing this nationwide. They've been airing it in a couple of races here also. Um, I can't think of the exact name of it, but it's the Unhinged Mob um, ad. And it's the one that shows, um, you, know, um, you know, apparently demonstrations, riots, and so forth, referring to the Democrats, you know, as an unhinged mob um, who are a bunch of socialists and so forth. And it's a it's a pretty dramatic ad. Some of the listeners may have seen it. All I have not seen it. I, I feel like there's so many negative ads oh, that, that it's kind of it, it's almost really difficult to watch. You know, if you're just trying to watch a ball game or a newscast, you know, it's no, it is. It's it's it's, it's really tough. It really is tough. Like we did we did an interview a few weeks ago. I remember you asked me why are we seeing so many ads here, and I said because we've turned into Ohio. And why are they so negative? Because we've turned into Ohio. Because it's, it's so close the elections here that when elections get close, unfortunately, oftentimes the ads go up, which is good for revenue for your station, but they also get nastier, which is not good for all of us. But no, this one ad I'm referring to, it's a nationwide ad. I've seen it used in a few of the races here locally. I think especially, I think I might have seen it um, in conjunction with um, it might have even been with Paulson's um, campaign, but I can't remember now which campaign it was. Um, but but again, it depicts rioting, calling Democrats socialists, you know, unhinged mob, um, and and it's and it's and it's pretty much trying to say they're the ones who are the cause of all the violence that's going on right now, and it's running on a law, a law and order, you know, fear of disorder type of um, um, theme, and this fits in, I think, again with um, some of the comments that Trump made today about about the idea of saying that, you know, we need to make sure that we have, you know, ar- you know people, you know, places armed like synagogues or schools um, talking about, you know, um, you know the, the, about the need of maintaining, you know, order in our society. And I think this is, this is one of the themes, you know, that, that we're seeing that Trump is using right now um, in terms of taking things like the pipe bombings or, or the synagogue um, um, shootings and trying to use those um, for a partisan advantage when typically we would not see presidents doing something like that. All right. Uh, but it, 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 as I said, you know, the Kavanaugh hearing was a perfect example right. of him taking something and appearing to once again, appearing to cross a line, but it was his, his really mocking of Christine Blasey Ford that, that turned the tables around for Kavanaugh. So the president has seen that, that, that strategies that would not work for many other or, or any other political figures do work for him. Well, they do. And I was going to say is that 
you know, even though there are some basic rules of politics and things you need to sort of do to be successful, at the end of the day, every candidate or every um, successful politician, you know, forges a new link or forges a new rule. And we've seen almost from the beginning Donald Trump breaking a lot of the traditional rules in terms of um, how you think about politics. And, and, and we're seeing this again right now, is that, you know, think back again to what we said was eternity three weeks ago with the Kavanaugh-Dr. Ford, um, you know, confrontation, is that Republicans you know, were recommending that the president not go after, after Dr. Ford, and it looked like Kavanaugh might lose until, in fact, he went after her, um, I guess, basically, um, what I'm looking for, um, in, in, enabled or encouraged um, the base and members of the Senate, um, including Senator Lindsey Graham, to basically go after her, and it turned out to be successful. In terms of you know some of our local races, there was a really startling new poll that came out this past week in the Attorney General's race, which showed Doug Wardlow with a pretty significant lead over Congressman Keith Ellison, uh, a flip of, of an earlier poll, essentially, that showed Ellison with a lead. Uh, what what does this tell you? And and we've got Tom Foley, the former Ramsey County attorney, who's trying to mount a write-in campaign. Um, this is a pretty big development, don't you think? This is a significant development. Again, the Repu- Republicans haven't won the attorney general's office in Minnesota in a half a century. It's been a solid Democratic seat. And I think many Republicans going into the election this year, you know, take us back several months ago when they thought it was going to probably be Lori Swanson running for a fourth term, or, you know, pretty much, you know, had written this off. Um, but this, you know, starting, what, two days before the primary, where Keith Ellison um, was accused by an ex-girlfriend of, um, um, of sexual assault, um, the, you know, we didn't see the big impact then because it was only 48 hours out. But I think we're seeing that longer-term corrosive impact at this point where it, you know, I mean, this is a significant shift, you know, that even though I've got some disagreements with the Star Tribune poll, the NPR poll, um, a 13-point shift in one month um, is pretty significant at this point. And I'm not sure how Keith Ellison, you know, reverses this. And in fact, what's so interesting about, about it also is the fact that if you watch some of the ads that are out there right now, they're trying to tie other Democrats in the state to Keith Ellison um, because this issue um, is not working well for him. And if we look at the, the, the cross tabs, we look at the subpopulations in terms of um, who's supporting or not supporting Keith Ellison, his support has dramatically eroded amongst, against suburban women. So this, again, so this is a race that, that has, um, is, is not good news for Keith Ellison or the Democrats. Um, and more interesting, or just as interesting, I'm not sure if it's more interesting, um, is the fact that this has national implications too because um, he was second in command, you know, for the, you know, for, you know, for the um, Democratic National um, um, Committee. He still is. Still is, still is at this point. Um, and the Republicans would love nothing better than to be able to um, defeat him. Um, and assuming Doug Wardlow wins, um, the potential implications in terms of how it affects the Attorney General's office for the state of Minnesota and for national politics are also pretty significant because in the last, I'm going to say, 10 years, attorney generals have now become 
tremendously important in terms of suing the national government on a variety of policy issues, and I suspect we will see Doug Wardlow um, supporting the Trump administration on a range of issues anywhere from um, let's say immigration issues to perhaps issues on on transgender politics, transgender discrimination. Again, the significance is is, is important. Right, and, and you know that's exactly what Congressman Ellison said he wanted to do. He wanted to be an activist attorney general and and, and use the attorney general's office as a check yes. on the Trump administration's policies, and and. That, that's obviously a sell and a point that he's made over and over and over again. The, the issue is that statewide, you've got Donald Trump almost won this state two years ago. Well, you're right. You're right. I mean, wh- one of the things I think about is that even before um, the allegations emerged for um, for Keith Ellison about sexual assault, um, I thought it was going to be a tough battle for him to win this to start with. I mean, he's running from the most liberal um, congressional district in Minnesota, and in fact, by all accounts, one of the most liberal districts in the United States, and in trying to run statewide. Um, he's got a, an incredibly liberal voting record. He's got a track record um, out there on a variety of issues that puts him far to the left compared to the rest of the state of Minnesota. Um, at the same time, though, Doug Wardlow has a track record for his work. It is far more conservative than many Republicans in the state of Minnesota. And so we have, and both of them have essentially said um, that they're going to use the attorney general's position, you know, for pursuing a variety of sort of, you know, let us say, um, national type of issues, even though Doug Wardlow has tried to walk back from that a little bit. But both of them are heavily um, politicizing and... um, their, their positions in terms of using it to um, to get involved in national political issues. Right. Um, all right. Although although um, Wardlow, you know, who who's said that he's not going right, to make correct. the issue, make the race, or make the, the position of a political one, also got caught on tape saying he was going to fire all the Democrats in the office. So it's. You, you got to wonder about that one too. So l- let's take a quick break. When we come back, uh, I want to ask you about uh, the third congressional district, uh, the polling there, and uh, the big Trump endorsement of Congressman Eric Paulson this week. Uh, so keep it here, folks. News Radio eight three zero. It is 8.48 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz. Uh, earlier this evening, I spoke with uh, Congressman Eric Paulson, who's in a very tight race for the 3rd Congressional District. Uh, he's a long-term incumbent now, but the polls show that he is trailing uh, Dean Phillips, the challenger here. Uh, he says – and he also got this week uh, an endorsement from Donald Trump, the president, uh, on Twitter – and Congressman Paulson said he didn't ask for that endorsement and he was sort of surprised that he got it. He didn't have a heads up about it. He doesn't think it's going to make – I said, is this going to help you? And he says he didn't think it was going to make any difference. I said, well, it's going to hurt you. And he says he didn't think he was going to make any difference. What do you think? I think it's going to hurt him dramatically because you're going to probably see in the last week um, the Dean Phillips campaign or the DCCC um, run a series of ads – um, pointing out that Donald Trump has endorsed Eric Paulson, and that's not going to help them at all. Remember, this is a district that two years ago, 
um, what plus fifty thousand for Hillary Clinton over Donald Trump. I mean, she won. She she did not run well at all in Minnesota. I mean, she did win, but barely. Right. But she did win, do well in that district. Yeah, she won big in that district, in a district that Eric Paulson, I think, won by about. 17, 16, 17 points, maybe 18. It was about 15, yeah. I mean, and against a very well-known uh, Democratic state senator in Terry Bono. Exactly. And the point is, is that he was very successful in distinguishing himself and distancing himself from, from Donald Trump. Well, two years later, this is a district um, that is prime, absolutely prime for the Democrats to pick up, um, that the district is is very, very rich with um, college-educated suburban women um, who overwhelmingly have negative views towards Donald Trump and whose vote is going to be incredibly decisive in this, ele- um, in this election. And you just know that already, or we've already seen Dean, um, Dean Phillips, um, the ad that sticks out in my mind is showing Donald Trump and Eric Paulson paddling a canoe together. I don't know if you've seen that yes. one, Tom. And, and trying to basically paint the two together. And this is going to just make it even harder for for Paulson to distance himself. Because you might recall, you know, a couple years ago, you know, at one point, I think he was on your your your, your Sunday morning show. I was on the same show as him um, when he was on there, where he, you know, when asked if he was going to support Donald Trump, he said, I'm going to support, you know, you know the party's nominee, but really didn't want to say he was supporting Donald Trump, knowing some of the difficulties it would pose. So it's, it's going to even intensify more, again, with that intensified partisanship. So I think he would be, um, Paulson um, is, is, of course, wants to say it's not going to help or hurt him because he has to walk away from Trump. But I can't see, but it's going to really have an additional impact on him and make it harder for him to distinguish himself from Donald Trump in a district where where Trump is probably not very popular. Right. Um Another candidate that we talked to tonight, Dan Fien, um, he is, of course, the Democrat in the 1st Congressional District. I had talked a few weeks ago with uh, his opponent, uh, Jim Hagedorn. It, it looks like that race really is a toss-up. Yeah, that's interesting because about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I thought that race uh, was actually Hagedorn's. You know, Hagedorn tr- barely The president won. came to visit... Yes, yes. <laughs> it, right. And, and remember, it's a district that Hagedorn barely lost to Tim Waltz, you know, two years ago. I mean, it was a pretty close race. It was, I think, 2,000 votes or so. You're right. And so I was pretty much thinking that that one was going to flip. Um, but now it looks like that's tightened up quite a bit. Now, for exactly the reasons, I'm not completely sure for why it's tightened up, but it is. And that's a race now that that especially with it looking like Tim Waltz is doing reasonably well, um, and one would expect that Tim Waltz will do well down in the 1st District because that's where he's representing, there might be some coattails effect there that help, that help him out also. And it's also possible that that district does include um, Olmstead County, you know, Rochester, Minnesota, again, another area where the Democrats expect to do very well in this election, that if there's a good turnout there, along with the coattails from Waltz, um, it's, it's, it's making it a, a, a tighter race than I thought it was going to be a couple of weeks ago. Right. Although the, the latest governor's poll did show Waltz's advantage in, in, in that first congressional district kind of evaporating. Yes. But, but, but all of these things, it, it, it's Things are so volatile, and again, we've got that same-day voter registration, and that could swing things as well. You're right, and I think one of the things that polls don't do really well in Minnesota regarding 
is exactly that issue. You know, day of election registration where we get between 10 and 15% of the voters um, who vote in Minnesota do so on, um, on election day. And, and that makes it hard to predict. Now, it's just funny. Yesterday, it's actually funny. I, was, um, I, I actually early voted yesterday, in, and I'm in St. Paul, and Joe Mansky, you know, um, who... Oh, sure. Who's been running, you know, Ramsey County Board of Elections for what 16 years? Um, before that, he worked for the state. He's probably one of the most respected, um, I think, election administrators in the country, and I really do say that. Uh, and we were sort of talking, and I was kind of sort of picking his brain, and I said, "So, what do you think?" And we both kind of agreed and said that, you know, this is this is an incredibly tough election to call in Minnesota this year because of of the volatility and because. You know, we've we've become um, so much of a swing state with so many swing districts. And we've talked about this before, is that we have four congressional seats. Half of our congressional delegation is, is swing. Um, we have, with the exception of, let's say, the, like the big states like California and that, we have a greater proportion of seats in our state that are swing than any other state in the country. And then, again, get down to, you know, our state legislature and so forth, we've We've got pretty close margins on lots of things. We are a very, very good microcosm of exactly all the tensions um, that are going on in national politics. Getting back to Eric Paulson's race, about a week ago I was speaking at Minnetonka High School, and I said to the high school students there, and that's located out in Eric Paulson's district. And the I heart said, of Eric Paulson's district. Yeah, yeah. I, said to, I said to the students there two things. First, I said um, that, that this, this may be one of the most important races in the country, that whoever wins this race here um, probably signals who's going to win um, the control of the U.S. House of Representatives. And the other point I said is that, again, how many of your moms vote, you know, given the fact I mentioned before that suburban women are going to hold the balance of power here. Um, um, I said that your mom's essentially in the third district. This is ground zero. This is ground zero for, for American politics right now. Right. And, and, and the polls indicate that, uh, Paulson does have, or that Paulson is trailing Dean Phillips. But uh, again, these polls have been wrong so many times. Right. And with all of these other things happening, I mean, that's, that's what's so tricky here. And, and with all the negativity, you know, I also wonder if people will just, some people will just say, I'm too disgusted. Well, and we, we do know that. We do know that oftentimes voters who are those swing voters, you know, kind of like, you know, undecided ones, um, do at the end of the day say, I'm going to stay home. And we've talked about this before, how there's some evidence that in very negative campaigns like this, um, about 2 to 3% of the voters wind up saying, well, sort of a pox on both houses um, and, and not vote. And, and again, in a very, very close race, like whether it's Paulson, whether it's Hagedorn, Craig Lewis, you know, go up to the 8th District and all these races here, you know, a, a, a shift of a couple of percentage points in terms of people staying home. Uh, or, or turning out to register the same day. To vote and put the combination of those two together there um, can really shift everything. And so for anybody listening tonight um, who's thinking, well, does my vote really matter? Boy, does it really matter this year. <laughs> All right. Professor David Schultz, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on, on this very busy news day. Thank you very much. Talk okay. to you soon. Bye. One and only David Schultz. I also can, uh, encourage you to check out his blog, Schultz's Take, uh, well, that just about does it for me. I want to thank David Josephson, also Shaletta Brundage, uh, also Jonathan Lowe, our producers. And I want to invite you to tune into The Politics Show at uh, 10.30 a.m. on WCCO Television. That's tomorrow.
turned into violence. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.